As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. Oh, gosh. You, you all right, man? <laughs> I think the very the very first thing after the countdown got done, the very first thing our listeners heard was, "Oh gosh." <laughs> well, Ben, do you understand? Do We're you not going to start this over. This is how it's going to be. What it's taking <laughs> me to be here right now? The amount? Yeah. Well. You yeah. Know, that's kind calories. Of it, that's I'm burning. Kind of the muscles that are firing uh, to sit in this chair. Yeah. I got a brain. Okay, Matt. Matt really does not. Want I've to blinked be here. three times while I'm speaking so far. Ben, are you hangry? Uh, are you hangry? You need to go eat something. You know what happened? Uh, I was making. I made myself a tuna salad. I make this tuna salad with salsa and onion and garlic and horseradish and and fresh jalapeno pepper. And I mix and I boil some eggs and hard boil them and I put them in there and it's like this protein punch, like low sugar like salsa dip that I eat with corn chips. And I'm trying to eat it, and my I, my wife works from home, and I work from home, and I'm shoveling this delicious salsa into my mouth before this podcast, and my wife is like, we have to talk. And she brings up like three or four different things that we have to talk about, and I'm like trying to listen, but I can't eat and talk to her because I'm like spitting salsa over my laptop, and I did not get to finish my precious, delicious salsa because mm. my wife, so my okay. wife wanted a husband. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. So, so really, your uh, was on husbands, I think, is what you just said. I was like, I got to do an intro instead of go back down to my <laughs> delicious salsa. No, I, uh, I, no. I tend to like really pack in. I mean, Ben, Ben, Ben knows mm. this. Uh, this is true about him too. I tend to like pack every moment into these little spaces of my day. And then mm. my wife's like, "Hey, let's talk. What do you think yeah. of the color purple?" You know, yeah. and then I'm like, then I'm, I don't get it. I don't get finished with what I was going to do. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, I become a B plus husband instead of the A plus yeah. husband. I usually am. And yeah. it just goes, it just goes downhill. Anyway, yeah. uh, that's I'm maybe what the UG was about. We better yeah. finish this the intro. I mean, so that it you sounds like eat. this is, yeah, this is, well, I don't mean interfering to, with you. I don't mean to put, put this as a burden on you all, but if we could, if we could chop, chop this up, I think that would be good. <laughs> yeah. Oh man! No, uh, so this so, is a question I want to ask you. This this okay. salad, which uh, Deb, I think your wife Deb makes too, right, Ben? She does. Yeah, she likes um, it. I um, like it too when yes. she makes it. Yes. I don't. So make this it. is 
this is my favorite like pre-prepped meal that I keep in the fridge and I'll mm-hmm. eat it like a dozen times for lunch over the next two weeks. I know some of you only keep leftovers for like two days, <laughs> but most of this stuff is like fresh ingredients or canned meat. So it's, yeah, you know, it'll forever. survive the apocalypse. Yeah. Okay. Um, at the bottom of this whole show, you have to put the recipe because people are going to want to try it. Oh, that's true. Yep. That's true. It's going to have to email, go the show notes. Email us at uh, podcast. Yeah, just at let me know. Leadership. Dot com if you would like the recipe. It is it is pretty good. You know, I thought, would wasabi go well in there? Oh, yeah. Well, Make the, it like into a little bit of a Japanese kind of flavor? That's like the horse... I mean, the horseradish, the horseradish is, yeah, that's has kind a, of a similar flavor ish. profile, yeah, okay. right? Yeah, yeah. But I was going to ask, what um, <clears throat> do you have a favorite salad lunch type thing like this? If you're going to prep mm. something and put it in your fridge and eat from it multiple times, what would it be? Mm. Taco soup. Taco Ooh, soup. Tell me more yeah. about that. I, in That's my so crock good. pot, I'll put some chicken breasts mm-hmm. in there and some salsa and corn and black beans and taco seasoning and mm. a little bit of like broth. Yeah. And then it cooks all day. And then when it's done, either you can drain it and you can use it as taco meat and make nachos mm. or tacos or burritos or whatever. Or kind of thing. you can, yeah, or you can eat it as soup. Nice. And it's so good. And it's good leftover too. Yeah. So is this, uh, Christy, you're talking about something that you would heat up. Is that- I would heat it up. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, Because I was going to say, I probably would make some kind of a, like, corn and bean salsa if it was going to be a cold thing. I really Mm -hmm. like like that kind of salsa. But when you said taco soup, I was reminded of this recipe that we make for, like, a white chicken chili. Um, It's kind of like a taco soup. It's, you know, it's got Mexican kind of flavors to it. Um, but that stuff is so good. Like it's almost better, uh, as leftovers. And so mm-hmm. I would eat that. Yeah. I would eat that day after day. There's also yeah. like a Thai red curry noodle soup that I would eat Ooh. for lunch every day. If I, if Guys, I had it. it is my lunch hour right now. I'm getting mm. hungry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <clears throat> yes. Um, well, listener, if you have a dish or a soup or a salad that you make that you want to recommend. I don't know if we're ready to put a gravity cookbook together, but do send yeah, us a couple recipes. Yeah. Do send us some recipes. I, I, uh, this, I, I like, cause most fast food is unhealthy, you know? Yeah. Right. Right. You can only eat like a dozen or two dozen spicy chicken sandwiches from Popeye's a week. And then you just start <laughs> feeling bad about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. There's a yeah. threshold like 16 or 17 uh-huh. for me. Yeah. So if you want something fast and also like, yeah. Not super expensive, like yeah. this fast, and healthy, healthy, inexpensive. That's why I make this salad. But we'd love to yeah. hear that from you. Uh, yeah, you know who fun. else was inexpensive and healthy? I don't know how healthy. Well, it was a healthy conversation. It was a Andrew healthy Arndt. conversation. He looks yeah. healthy. I mean, listener, you're not going to be able to see. Andrew, He's got a nice. Uh, he's a looks, runner. He's a runner. He's a runner. Yeah, I could yeah. tell. I could tell. He just he looked healthy. He looked good. Yeah. He's running the uh, race set interview. before him. Is that what you're saying, Christy? Yeah. Well, yeah. Especially <laughs> no, and, he runs uh, real races, people. Okay, he runs real races. <laughs> I mean, yeah. not that that isn't a real race. Yeah. Ooh, I'm real. sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> not that woo-woo spiritual stuff. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, we're uh, talking about Andrew. Andrew Arndt. Yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, uh, if you clicked on this episode, you know that um, we're talking with him about his book, uh, his new book, Streams in the Wasteland, Finding Spiritual mm-hmm. Renewal with the Desert Fathers and Mothers. Uh, we've had Andrew on the podcast before, and uh, he talked about the Desert Fathers and Mothers and uh, has been doing a lot of reading there. And 
I love the way that he kind of reclaims their voice for our day. Um, I think um, mm. it's a it's a valuable necessary thing. There's a lot of uh, I think comparisons uh, culturally, yeah, stuff that's going on today uh, spiritually and in the church uh, that it has analogs to things that were happening back then that necessitated uh, the work that the desert fathers and mothers did. And so mm-hmm. Andrew is a uh, a student of them, and I think. Helpfully recapitulates their work for our day, so we had a good conversation about uh, all of that. So, yeah, and I gave him his idea for his third book. Oh, that's, that's right. right. You did tell him what to write. I need that's to follow right. up now that I'm saying this. I need to follow up with him. Follow up with Andrew. Give him a little yeah, outline. <laughs> Let him know how to. <laughs> Just I write like it this. for him. Just write I it like for him. this new Christie. I, yeah. I, I, by new, I mean like. Uh, <laughs> Listener, Christy was telling us a story offline about this interaction she had with a Christian organization, and she was giving them the what not and then some. She was. You were giving them the what for and then some more, sister. I generally tend to come across as just nice, but I'm pretty sure that in this conversation, I came across as uh, direct. A little sassy. <laughs> a little sassy. That's that's how they would perceive you, probably. No. Yes, they but would. yeah, you were very direct. I was I, I loved hearing about it. I, I mean, loved it too. Listener, uh it's probably we probably can't share uh too much about it. We no, you know, confidential. I'm pretty sure that I guess what I'm gonna say is this organization probably never gonna ask me to come back because I just was like, We need to love like Jesus. And that's mm-hmm. I just kind of was direct. And they were like, That's that not one. good enough. Right. They, yeah, that wasn't good <laughs> enough. They wanted they wanted some other answers about uh Inerrancy and uh, social justice. So anyway, mm. <sighs> such mm. is our, our world today. Well, <clears throat> I think that's all we uh, need to announce that's or uh, talk about before yeah. we get into this interview. Is that is that right? Is there anything else we need to talk about? No, just that you okay. know, Andrew's a good dude. Andrew is a good dude. He He's lives in dude. Colorado Springs. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, if you want to come visit me, Christy. you could visit him. Wow, to get a twofer. I know. Um, yeah. <laughs> If you want to go to Colorado, it's lovely. Colorado Springs is absolutely gorgeous. Um, I'm still waiting for like the first listener to tell me that they're in Colorado Springs because I've put mm. it up the, out there many times. Like, yeah. I'll take you out to coffee. Not right. once that, has somebody once. taken me up on that. Well, they maybe think we don't I'm have lying, any but I am there. not. We do have I don't know why you would lie here. about Come that. Come on. Yeah. You think? Yes. All right. Well, if you live in Colorado Springs, hit up Christy and she'll give you Andrew's number. Um, <laughs> And for his take running you routes, out to coffee. <laughs> That's great. This is exactly what Andrew wanted yeah, uh, yeah, when he signed like, up for this interview. Great. Yeah. Oh boy. All right. Well, All right, well. Uh, the book is great. Um, enjoy this interview with Andrew Arndt on streams in the wasteland. Here we go. Hey, everybody. Andrew Arndt is joining us today on the podcast. Andrew is the lead pastor of New Life East, which is one of seven congregations of New Life Church in Colorado Springs, where he also hosts the Essential Church Podcast, which is a weekly conversation designed to strengthen the thinking of church and ministry leaders. Prior to New Life's team, he served as lead pastor of Bloom Church, a neo-monastic, charismatic, liturgical, justice-driven network of house churches in Denver. Um... Andrew, welcome to but welcome back to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. It's good to be back with you guys. Thanks yeah, for having me. It's, 
loads of fun. Andrew, your last book, and uh, we can maybe link this in the show notes, but your last book was uh, all about the Desert Fathers and Mothers and the Monastics, and this book is also making connections to the Desert Fathers and Mothers yeah. and the Monastics. What's the deal with you and the Desert Fathers? <laughs> That's a man. It's a great question. I think it's got to be. I, I do love. I'm a kind of a Renaissance man at heart. I'd like old stuff. I think that there's a lot mm-hmm. that we just overlook and. Um, I think that when we resource the past, I think it gives us a fresh imagination for the future. Some hmm. of that, I think, is um, a product of having been born and raised in the non-denominational, you know, charismatic Pentecostal world, okay. where our historical memory only went back as far as about 1900. And, yeah, uh, right. you know, right. just starting to, I remember getting to a point in my early 20s where I just went, this is this is too small. There is more Christianity mm. to the, than this, I think. And yeah. uh, Matt and I went to seminary together, Trinity up in Chicago. And uh, man, something about being in a seminary environment just kind of whet my appetite for mm. there's just more out there. Like mm. God has given all these gifts to his church. Mm. And I don't want to miss anything that he's given. So yeah. if it's real, if it's right true. On. If it's good, if it's beautiful, like let's claim it and let's try to build a life on it. Hmm. Yeah, man, I, that's well said. I think that mirrors my own experience uh, in the charismatic church as well. Um, I remember, I remember realizing that it was a little presumptuous of me to assume that the Holy Spirit was present in the early church, uh, and then sort of left the church until, you know. About the Azusa 1900s. Street, yeah, yeah, Azusa Street, and the Holy Spirit <laughs> yeah. was like, ah, I guess yeah. I'll come back. These guys are really messing everything up. Um, Don't call it a comeback. Yeah, so, yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, I appreciate that. That's really uh, that's really well said. Um, yeah. So this new book, we're, we're talking about your new book today, which is called "Streams in the Wasteland: Finding Spiritual Renewal with the Desert Fathers and Mothers." So there it is. You've got your copy, copy. right there. Nice. Uh-huh. nice. Uh-huh. This uh, we're recording this before it comes out. Uh, so that's mm-hmm. exciting. Um, I think it by the time this comes out, it will already be released. So, um, listeners, yeah. you can get your copies uh, anywhere you buy books. Um, but uh, what what's um, what's what prompted you to write this book? Like, who who is it for? And um, yeah, yeah why, why why another book on the Desert Fathers and Mothers? Well, the you know, All Flame was based on a saying of the Desert Fathers, but it wasn't really about mm-hmm. them uh, per se. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, the, All Flame was more the way that I talked about it was that it was a Trinitarian spiritual theology that focused especially kind of on how times of suffering and difficulty deepen mm-hmm. our union with God. So it was really an examination of um, how our interface with God as the triune God, especially in those difficult seasons, how, how it forms us. And at the time, I was reading a lot of the Desert Fathers and Mothers, and so they kind of found their way in there. And I was also working through my own uh, difficulty kind of existential crisis. So all flame in a lot mm. of ways was, a, it was a bit autobiographical, although I didn't make it. So yeah. me sort of trying to find language to I'm walking through this thing and like, who is God for me in this? So I was trying to work mm-hmm. my way through that and then maybe let that be a gift to others. Streams in the wasteland though, I think represents in some ways like the culmination of my really wrestling with the desert fathers and mothers. So the backstory is I was the lead pastor, uh, at Bloom church, uh, from 2009 to 2017 and you know when we moved there in 2009 i think just out of the you know goodness of our hearts or beautiful idealism or something i just remember saying like like a life that sounds like a good life to me is a life where you find a city and you find a people 
and you try to die there with them. You know, like you spend 30 or 40 years in one place and you just do good work for a long time. And then you die preaching and they bury you in the backyard at 95 years old or something, you know, like that, <laughs> right. that sounded awesome to me. And I Living always said that. Yeah. <laughs> the dream. And I always said that to them, you know, like mm -hmm. I'm going to be here for 30 years and we got all this work. And we walked through some stuff that um, it just made it really clear in 2016 and 2017 that like our it wouldn't be right to stay like it was time to move mm -hmm. on. And in that way that you know that you know that you're hitting the expiration date on something, we knew that we were hitting it. And so we discerned the Lord's work in that and lots of people around us like blessing that. And all. so all that was great. It was beautiful. But moving here to Colorado Springs in the summer of 2017, like I like honestly, guys, like I thought having worked through the whole process of like getting the decision to leave to the decision to leave that that was the hard thing to do. And that was a quarter of it, maybe like the real grieving process, the real difficulty came afterwards. And mm -hmm. I didn't have language for it then. But looking back on it, I've come to see that in some ways, like moving from Denver to the Springs and that switch and kind of the ministry assignment for me, it, it was honestly like being put in a witness protection program. You know, it was oh, like. Wow here's your new job. Here are your new friends. Here's your new community. Here's your new house. Here's your new car. Here's your new life. And all that stuff that you used to be that guy that you used to be that thing that you represented in the other life. Yeah. Not really so much with that anymore. Here's your new thing. And it was so disorienting for me. And, um, so the grieving process had really only really just begun in the fall of 2017. And a friend of mine just, I can't even remember how it happened, but he just said, you know, you need to, read the desert fathers and mothers. And I said, well, why is that? And I knew about them because I'd read Henry now in the way of the heart. So I, I mm -hmm. know the history and I'd interacted with them a little bit, but he said, you need to read them. And I said, why? And he said, because the thing that you are walking through that you did not choose, they chose mm -hmm. like they chose the abandonment of their reputation. They chose the abandonment of institution. They chose the abandonment of what power they had. And they found God in it. They found God in the desert. They found God in the desolation. They found God in the wilderness. And so I picked up, um, I ordered Benedict Award's alphabetical collection of the sayings of the desert fathers and mothers, and honestly started reading it religiously. Like I'd finish up my scripture reading and prayer. And then the first thing I would read is I would sit in the sayings of the desert fathers and mothers. And honestly, I, it hit me at the right time and their words were the right words for me. Like the way I talk about it in the book is they became like cartographers of the holy for me. Like they lit up this landscape that I was not understanding. They were helping me make sense of where God was in a space where it felt like everything had fallen apart. <laughs> so, you know, that honestly, that like grieving and rebuilding process took a few years. You know, just sitting with them and listening to them and learning to not just be able to tolerate the darkness but to love the darkness because I was meeting God in it and I was becoming somebody different. And then the longer I sat with them, the more I just thought, actually, they have a word to speak to the whole church here. You know, like we're, re we're living in a desolate time. I think it was Thomas Merton who said like, you don't like, you know, it used to be that people fled hundreds of miles to go out into the desert to try to find God. Now he said the desert is everywhere. Like our society is, this, is a wasteland. And so it's right at our doorstep and we don't, need to run away to find the wilderness. It's there. And God is also there in it. And so streams is, it's different than all flame. You know, all flame is kind of like a, where is God in the suffering? But streams is more like, um, Hey, uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, we're living in a time of great madness and chaos and inhumanity. 
And the desert fathers and mothers can help us reclaim the radical way of Jesus. Like in this wilderness, they, they can give us language to see where God is and to live more humanly in an inhuman age. So mm. this to me in a lot of ways is like a mini manifesto to the church to help her reclaim who she is. Yeah. So, yeah. And now a word from a sponsor. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right, let's get back into our conversation. What to say, say a bit about, um, you know, for the, say a bit more about um, our culture sort of being a wasteland, sort of the wilderness is everywhere. And maybe mm-hmm. some of the ways, you know, if this book is about helping the church reclaim who she is, mm-hmm. what are some of the ways, you know, you talk a little bit about consumer society, um, consumer yeah. church, that kind of a thing. What are some of the ways that, um, that the church, uh, do you think, has been compromised? Uh, yeah, the wasteland that's all around us. Well, I mean, I, I think the obvious ways are certainly the consumerism of the church, you know, mm. that we see the church as a thing that dispenses spiritual goods and services and exists to serve me. And I think that we've, that's the fundamentally American way of looking at mm-hmm. the church. And I think that we've been co-opted by that. And I think that that kills our humanity for sure. And right along with that is the individualism of our culture, which has been rampant, you know, I mean, it's, I think it's written into the fabric of being an American. It's just part of it. Mm -hmm. But I think that we're in the full flowering of it now, you know, so those are the obvious ways, but I think guys, the way, you know, what I'm most concerned about these days, what I'm praying about and what somehow finds its way into most messages that I preach um, is there is a level of anger and vitriol in our culture right now. I mean, this like, um, everybody is trying to take America back from somebody that they think is trying to take America from them. And there's, we've lost kind of a common vision of the good together, if we ever really had it, but we certainly don't have it anymore. And there's this vacuum now that's created that's just getting filled by the loudest voices, the angriest voices, many of them recruiting religion and Christianity uh, into that which I think is co-opting our discipleship in huge ways. Like I think that the ends are starting to justify the means for people. And I, I just hear more Christians tolerating bad behavior in the name of a vision of America that they think, you know, is God's vision of America. Um, I'm just here. I'm just hearing that. I'm seeing it all the time and it's really distressing to me. And I just think, I think sometimes you need, voices that kind of shake you awake. They shake you out of your stupor. And I I think about the great statement of Dallas Willard, where he says that um, familiarity winds up breeding unfamiliarity, which leads to contempt. And I think part of the problem with us in the church is that Jesus is so, it's, he's just part of the furniture of our experience that we think we've seen him, but we really haven't, you know, we like, we're missing him. And so every once in a while you need voices that come along 
that um, they reintroduce you to Jesus. So streams to me is actually not really about the desert fathers and mothers. It's about the way in which the desert fathers and mothers in a similar time, you know, they're looking around at the Roman empire, which had recently been Christianized by Constantine. And the Roman empire also at that time is starting to crumble kind of at the edges. It was a time of great social fragmentation and fear. So what do they do? Like they flee to the wilderness not with their middle fingers raised to the empire, but they were trying to find God and they were trying to reconnect with the radical way of Jesus. And David Bentley Hart argues that they re-evangelized Christianity because of that. They got back to mm -hmm. Jesus. And I, that to me is what this thing is about. It's about like, hey, can we talk, let's have a conversation with these people for a second so that we can see Jesus with clear eyes, so that we can see our moment with clear eyes and live more faithfully in it. So, you know, and yeah. I think when, when people... I don't know, think about the church mothers and fathers. They think about like hermits living alone and doing their yeah. spiritual practices. But the second yeah. part of your book is about yeah. how we're called to community, you know, how yeah. we're saved into community, we're stored through community. And what's the relationship with the, the desert fathers and mothers to community? How does that play out for us today? It's such a great question because I, I, um, when I first started reading them, and that was my impression, that these were all people that they were essentially solitaries. They lived by themselves. And uh, when you start reading the literature, what you see is that um, only there were two kinds of monks that lived by themselves. And one were like, they, they were the Anchoritic, you know, the Anchorite monks. And those were folks that had like lived in community long enough and lived under a rule and discipline and connected the church enough that they had the spiritual maturity to be able to go off and have long stretches of time where they were essentially by themselves. But even when they did that, they stayed connected to community. They were generally under a superior. They would still show up for worship, so they were still connected. The group of people that were very much looked down upon by folks like John Cassian and others were, they called them the Cerebites. And the Cerebites were people that basically said like, not only do I not need society, but I don't need the church. Like, I'm going to go find God for myself and the church is just so oppressive and everybody's so oppressive and I'm just going to commune with the divine in some cave out there. And these those people like went crazy. In fact, the Cambridge historian <laughs> Owen Chadwick says that he says that um, that total isolation was found to lead to found to lead to delusions and madness and, and oftentimes wow. even to death. Like they just they lost their humanity. So what's fascinating to me about the Desert Fathers and Mothers is that they're constantly saying, like, we need each other. We need each other. Mm -hmm. Like we need the encouragement of brothers and sisters. There's an enrichment that we find with each other. We need superiors over us. So we basically need brothers and sisters who are further along in the path to help us understand what the way of righteousness look like. It looks like, and we also need to be part of the worshiping rhythm of a community. So like these folks were gathering on Saturdays and Sundays for worship, like we do, and somehow that anchored them um, in the divine and it anchored them in their quest for, for holiness. Um, so I don't know if that exactly answers the question, but I, I think what's astounding to them about them to me is that it's the quality of relationship that they're fighting for that I think is a real word for our time. Cause I think that we all kind of believe, yeah, I'm supposed to be involved in church. And of course I need good friends and all of that. But these folks were doing something different. Like they were trying, like Paul has a statement in Philippians one, where he says, I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus. These folks were trying to recapture how does God happen between us? 
Like they were trying to relearn the essence of humanity, the essence of relationship. What does forgiveness look like? What does it look like to speak the truth in love? What does it look like to bite your tongue? What does it look like to share your possessions? And as they're living this way, it becomes this like new kind of model for how we're just supposed to live generally. So, you know, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but what we know as the monastic movement grows up out of the desert tradition. Like folks went and sat at the feet of these desert fathers and mothers and they went, geez, like you guys are doing this differently than we're all doing it. Teach us this. And they compiled their wisdom together and then started founding monasteries, which later influenced the broader church. Again, they were recapturing the way that Jesus calls us to live in radical fellowship with one another. So I think that they call us, you know, like the title of Rowan Williams' great book on the Desert Fathers and Mothers is Where God Happens. And what that is for him is it's a little catchphrase for talking about relationships, that relationships are the place where God happens. And I think what these guys and gals do is they give us fresh eyes to see how and where God happens between us. They attune us to the presence of the divine in our midst. And honestly, you know, I think about, sorry, I'm just kind of rambling here, but I I think about, (laughs) you know, the lessons that we all learned from Stanley Hauerwas years ago, where he says that the church, um, the church doesn't like engage in politics. The church is a politic. It's the, Mm -hmm. like the church's way of being in the world is the most profound thing that it says to the world. And so if we can start just recapturing even just how we interact with one another, you know, how we love, how we leverage our possessions and steward our words with each other. Um, That'll do more than any political movement, political statement, or political leader can ever do for us. Like it's, yeah. It's about being faithful to Jesus. Yeah. yeah. I was yeah. going to ask, I was going to ask, uh, I have two questions now. So my first question is, I wanted I wanted to maybe take an entire podcast to unpack. You mentioned an ep- epistemological crisis and how the fathers and mothers helped you through that. Um, mm-hmm. But it strikes me that what you just named, one of the things that has helped me reform my epistemology, uh, which is which is this relational knowing. I mean, that's what Paul's talking about there in Philippians yep. 1, yep. Uh, 9. He's talking yep. about there's a reflexive relational knowing that is yep. di- that's very different from a like more crass, rigid, uh, yes. platonic, Aristotelian right. way of knowing. Could you yeah. maybe un- unpack that a little more? Because I think a lot of people think they're having a faith crisis, Andrew. Yeah. And what they're actually having is an epistemological crisis. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I agree with you. One thing that they will, I think that relationships are an art form. And I think that um, being in relationships takes a measure of savvy that is not reducible to like, here are the rules and here's the prescription for making it happen. And mm-hmm. one of the things that will astonish you when you start reading the Desert Fathers and Mothers is that they, like a word that's an important that's an important word for them is discernment. And so discernment is like, what is happening right in front of me right now? And what does that demand of me? Like, how do I need to shape my own presence and my own being in light of the needs of this person in front of me? And so what that means then is that I can't just be rigid in the way, well, okay, this is how I respond to this situation. No, you don't have that. What you're trying to enter into is the fluidity of the spirit. So like one great story from the desert is one of the great uh, desert fathers had three folks uh, come to visit him and they all had different requests for them, but one of them had a bad reputation. And so the first person makes their request and the desert father says, no, I can't fulfill that request for you. And the second person makes a request and they go like, he goes, I can't do that for you. And the third person 
who has the bad reputation makes the request and the desert father goes, oh, I'd be happy to do that for you. And the first two get mad at him and you know, come back around and like, why you like, we're like, we're like the good guys in our community here. And we asked you to do this thing. Why don't you do this thing for us? And he goes, don't you understand? If I said no to him, he would have had a broken heart and we would have lost our contact with him. So I had to go out of my way to do this thing for him in order to keep him near. And I like I get goosebumps even sharing that because I think that to me is like the way of Jesus. You know, it's like he didn't just see crowds like he saw individuals, he saw people and he saw to their need. And that's what these folks are trying to like help us recover. I've been doing some reading lately in attachment theory and just thinking, yes. thinking through that and the way that that like yeah. disrupts our relationships. And one of the you guys know this one of the big words in attachment theory is attunement. Like attunement is part, like attachment really on, in some ways almost just boils down to that. It's the capacity to be within yourself and fully present with another person and dialed into what their needs are and their being is. And then somehow there is this fluidity. There's this dance where our minds and our hearts and even our bodies will synchronize with each other. Mm. 1700 years ago, there was a group of people that they were doing that. They're going, hey, it's not just about the rule book and it's not just about... Um, it's not just about being rigid about our prescriptions for holiness. It's about like, what's the spirit doing in this person? And how do I say yes to that? Yeah. We'll be right back. The Gravity Podcast is sponsored by the Gravity Formation Course, a 12-month cohort-based training in practical spiritual formation, where you'll learn to notice how God is already at work in your life so you can participate more fully in the life God shares with us. It's a discipleship process that goes beyond just gaining more knowledge and trying some new practices. In the Gravity Formation Course, we go below the surface of our lives so we can notice and name our deepest desires in God's presence and discern how God is at work in those desires to lead us toward holistic flourishing. More transformation, more life, more joy, more love. We've trained hundreds of people from all over the world in this formation framework, and it has helped many to have a sense of God at work in their lives and learn to be more at home in God's love. If you'd like to learn more, go to gravitycommons.com slash formation. Let's get back to the show. You mentioned what the Spirit's doing. I mean, you're a Tulsa boy, right? Born and raised? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Born and raised in Wisconsin in a charismatic church, but I went to Oral Roberts University. So that's right. Okay, I cl- so I can claim that. Yeah, you Tulsa's took the, on the resume. You, Tulsa in his heart. You took your yeah. cheesehead hat to Oral Roberts mm-hmm. University. Oh, Bucky! That's right. No, Bucky. Bucky no. the Badger. Buck, no, Bucky Badger and the cheesehead. They both went with. Yeah, <laughs> I see you talking about the Packers a lot. Um, yeah. No, yeah. so you, you you go to Tulsa Oral Roberts, and then you come to Trinity, right? So you have this charismatic yeah. stream, and then you go to Trinity, yeah. which is really the Bible, right, evangelical kind of Bible centered stream. Um, yeah. Uh, and I think there's a popular notion that. Uh, you know, Azusa Street and Tulsa, they sort of have the market cornered on what it means to be charismatic. Right. But can you uh, – and so maybe maybe there's there could be this, this surface-level uh, tale that you're, you're kind of jumping around, and now you've eschewed what it means to be charismatic by plunging into right. the Desert Fathers and Mothers. But could you maybe talk right. about how the Desert Fathers and Mothers have uh, parented you? to be a more yeah. faithful charismatic? 
Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I'll just say this, just a broad comment and then a specific com- remark about that. I, it's astonishing to me when I read church history, how all of the things that were I thought were the specific domain kind of of the charismatic world have lived everywhere. You just see them across the ages, like in the city of God, Augustine, <laughs> Steve devotes a really long section at the end, giving proof to the resurrection by all these miraculous healings that he has meticulously recorded. And they tend to happen in church or around sacred shrines and all of that. And they're really, really great stories. So it's, you know, it's there. I think um, based on some things that Augustine said that he spoke in tongues, (laughs) St. Teresa of Avila, she makes some remarks um, in, I can't remember which book it is, but it makes me go, oh, I think she's, you know, I think she spoke in tongues too. So it's like everywhere. So I, that's given me like, it's made me as a charismatic. I think my journey has just reassured me that I'm not strange, that it's all, it's mm-hmm. all there. The desert fathers and mothers, certainly. And I'll just say, to answer your question, I'll, I'll say two things. I think the thing that I maybe appreciated the most about my charismatic heritage and that I think I live with on a daily basis is like folks have asked mm-hmm. me over the years, like, what do you think it means to be charismatic? And I'll say, well, I think that the core charismatic intuition is that God is right here and he is right now. And we can have an interactive relationship with this God and anything can happen. And to quote Oral Roberts, um, something good is about to happen to you. <laughs> like God is seeking our good. God is seeking our good in all yeah. things. And when we open our hearts to him, we're open to the goodness of God breaking in. Yeah. And I, I was surrounded as a child. I talk about this a bit in the book, but I was surrounded by so many people who the cornerstone of that life of awareness of God was their deep life of prayer. They were mystics, though mm-hmm. so we never use that language. They were mystics. My mom up early in the morning, pouring over the scriptures and praying for her family and for her kids and for her friends. And then she would go into her day with wisdom on her lips and her eyes open to the wonders of God and ready to do whatever she could for the good of others. And Mm. that's how these folks lived. Like they lived, Mm. the cornerstone of their life was prayer. They prayed without ceasing and pray without ceasing. They were like, you know, Brother Lawrence, the practice of the presence of God. And it opened their eyes to the wonders of God. They were able to enter into that relational space, that spirit space with one another because they'd anchored themselves in God's presence first. So I, I think that's probably the first thing like they were, I, I said this in the book, but I, what struck me when I read them for the first time was not how remote they were, but how familiar they felt to me. Mm-hmm. I went, Oh my gosh, like I know people just like this, you know, people who like the world doesn't take any notice of, but they live deep in the presence of God and they're beautiful mm-hmm. people benefit to society, to the church. So that's the first thing. The second thing though, is I think that there's this profound rebuke, to a lot of the charismatic movement inside the desert fathers and mothers. So much of the charismatic movement as I knew it, what frustrated me and almost made me leave it altogether was the way in which it so easily got hijacked by pride and vanity and reputation building and money and power and all of that. And so you'd have a person who had a real legitimate gift for you know, miracles or healings or whatever, but then all of a sudden you've built this ministry around it and there's a persona and now it's like this yeah. thing Mm-hmm. where the attention is no longer on the profound work of the spirit or the healing power of Jesus, but the attention is on this person who is flying around the world in a private jet and all that, all that stuff is so obnoxious to me. And what's fascinating to me about these guys is that there are miracles, like miracles happen. And I'll share a story about one in just a second here, but like profound miracles happen. But because they were so devoted to the idea of holiness, 
they would never let any of that other junk like accrue around it. Like he couldn't, like mm-hmm. they were just totally averse to the idea of like building your brand through your spiritual <laughs> gifts. So like one of the, this is one of my favorite stories from the desert is this, there was this guy by the name of Abba Longinus and Longinus had gifts of healing and he was known throughout the region as a, as a healer. And there was a woman in a neighboring town who had breast cancer and you know back in those days that's basically a death sentence and so she's panicked and she talks to her townspeople and they go well you need to go over to this other town because there's this guy over there longinus and he has gifts of healing if you go see him the odds are pretty good you're gonna get healed she goes okay so she gets up and she starts heading towards the town and longinus is at the edge of town working in one of the fields but she doesn't know it's him and she bumps into him on the way into the town and he goes who are you looking for and she goes well i'm looking for this guy, Abba Longinus, and he goes, what are you looking for him for? And she goes, well, I heard that he can heal, you know, that he's got gifts. And he goes, no, you don't want to talk to that guy. He's a charlatan. He's an idiot. He's a fool. He's just a big <laughs> moron. And he, so, but, so now what's wrong with you? And she explains what's wrong. And he goes, get over here. And he makes the sign of the cross, you know, over the afflicted area. And he goes, now get on out of here. She turns around and she goes home and she's healed. And she, <laughs> you know, and they go, well, what happened? She tells the whole story and they go, that was him. <laughs> That was Longinus, like you. So it's a funny story, yeah. yeah. But it's also a sharp rebuke, yeah. Because here is this guy who is like he has made it his life's mission to deconstruct his growing reputation, yeah. And just thereby, the holiness yeah. of his life expands, like it grows. Mm. So you can seek humility and the gifts of the spirit at the same time. You can seek the renunciation of your brand and be a healer at the same time. And not just at the same time, but I actually think that these folks show us that to the extent to which you run away from your reputation and your brand and your all that stuff, the, the holiness, presence, the power of God, yeah. it, it grows in you. So I read these guys as a charismatic and it actually helps me. I go, this is actually a different yeah. and better, more humane, holier vision of yeah. being a charismatic than I saw in the early years of my life. Mm. Yeah, that's helpful. Andrew, we uh, we talked about the misconception of being a hermit, but mm-hmm. we also, let's talk about like, there's this picture, this idea that the church mothers and fathers are mainly concerned with their purity and their salvation, mm-hmm. almost like they're spiritually self-indulgent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the last section of your book talks mm-hmm. about how they, they went into the desert for the world. Yeah. And so what's the connection between these practices and practical mission and yeah. justice in the world? Well, there were some of them that didn't understand this, but in the main, it's fair to say that what they understood was that people are the priority because people, again, to use Rowan Williams' phrase, people are the place where God happens. Mm-hmm. And so even though they were devoted to the quest for personal holiness and they were devoted to their rule of life, you know, their structures and their commitments and all of that, they also almost to a person they would say but when the demand of the neighbor the demand of a brother or sister comes into your life you suspend what you're doing for the Mm -hmm. sake of them so if you're in the middle of a long fast and your next door neighbor who doesn't know jesus invites you to sit down and eat meat and drink wine you eat the meat and you drink the wine in the name of jesus trusting that the presence of god is going to show up there and they're going to be swept up into the kingdom. And when all of that's over, you do whatever you need to do to get back into your little rule of life and pursue holiness and reattain your mm-hmm. discipline. But because the demand of the moment is the person, yeah. you jump in on that. 
So I do think it's a profound misconception that these folks were, I like your phrase there, Christy, that they were spiritually self-indulgent. Some of them very much were, but uh, in the main, they weren't. In the main, they were so oriented to other people that when the demand came up, they jumped right into it. And they, they teach us that, I think. Again, it's that attunement. It's responsiveness to what's going on around you. That we don't have the luxury. Like it's, it's spiritually illegitimate to seek God in some kind of isolation that takes no account for the need of others around us and the need of broader society. So I do think that they teach us that for sure. Willing to suspend their personal quest for what was happening in front of them. That's good. Yeah. Well, we, we alluded to this earlier um, as well, uh, but, you know, de- deconstruction, a lot of, uh, you know, evangelical Christians uh, kind of consider themselves to be in some kind mm. of process of deconstruction. Mm-hmm. You know, Matt said earlier that that, you know, that may be an epistemolo- epistemological crisis. It may be just like a new paradigm crisis, a way of seeing yeah. the world. Yeah. Um, but what, what would you say you know, is here in this book um, that would be encouraging uh, or helpful uh, yeah. to those who are maybe reevaluating the, yeah. the framework they grew up with for faith. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think one of the, I think that there are many species of deconstruction and everybody's journey mm-hmm. is unique. But one of the things that I do think about our moment is that I wonder if deconstruction, especially kind of in the evangelical world, isn't the going to seed of a Mm. very cerebral approach to the faith Hmm. where we don't know how to live the faith bodily. And so when there are shifts and changes in our minds and our thinking, we panic because we've so located Hmm. faith in the realm of the the mind. And what the, what the desert tradition teaches us again is that faith, I mean, it's very, there's very little doctrine in the desert fathers and mothers, you're not getting that. Now they're teaching you doctrine by way of how they model holiness, but there's no, like, you're not going to get any sayings of them where they're sitting down and unpacking the two natures of Christ or the Trinity or, you know, the, you know, theology of the sacrament. They're not just not doing that. What they are doing is they're orienting you to the reality of God in community and the reality of God uh, as God comes to us in the life of, of personal prayer. So, Sometimes I think that with deconstruction, what we have is because we don't know how to live the faith bodily, when stuff starts to spin up here, we feel like we're losing our faith. When in reality, all that's happening is that all that's happening is that we're having a shift of the it's a shift of our brain cells, or it's a natural <laughs> process that you're going through mm-hmm. where some structure of faith that served you well at a certain point in your life is starting to fall to pieces. And what's coming on the heels of that is going to be a broader understanding of God and what it means to be human. And you just have to hold on through it. But the only way that you can make it is if you're in community. So, you know, the church that we pastored in Denver, I've talked to so many people over the years that have been walking through deconstruction. And one of the things I used to say, I remember saying to this, um, some of the folks who were, you know, deconstructing at our church in Denver is they'd lay out something, you know, I was born and raised Baptist. And then I read a book by Richard Rohr and it, you know, got me spinning in this wild direction. And now I'm questioning everything or whatever. And I just listened to them. They go, and now mm-hmm. I'm just not sure if I believe in any of this stuff anymore. And I'd go, that is so fascinating. And I'm so glad that you shared that with me. Um, I guess what I'd like to ask you is, are you still bringing the mashed potatoes to house church on Thursday night? <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, and that was like pastorally, like that was my invitation to them to like, sweet Mm -hmm. man, (laughs) like, great. Like, let's let that process, that mental process that's happening. Mm -hmm. Let's just go ahead and let that happen. 
And why don't you retain some objectivity for that for a second while you fulfill your obligations in the community and enjoy the way that God's beauty comes to us in the holiness of gathering together in community. Somehow the, it's being in community, it's anchoring for all those shifts and changes. Yeah. And I think what's alarming yeah. to me is how many people go, well, I'm walking through this season of deconstruction, so I break myself off from the church. And what I'll give you is that there are a lot of churches that are really bad churches to have a deconstructing experience in. Right. They're, they're just well, not that's, conducive that's to it. That's the message the people get. Yes. Yeah, you have pastors, to leave. Yeah. Right, because the pastors are preaching messages against deconstruction, and they blacklisted mm -hmm. all of these people that you shouldn't be reading, and then it just feels like I can't ask questions. I can't, so I got to. I need to go over here and just you know sit on the back porch with my best friend, smoking cigars and calling it church, or whatever you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I think that we've got to do a better job as pastors, creating, curating spaces where when people come to us and they say it's all falling apart, we just are not panicked by that, you know? And yes. Jesus wasn't panicked by it. I mean, think about like the Mount of Ascension in Matthew 28, you know, there are all these people gathered around Jesus as he's getting ready and he gives the great commission, you know? Mm -hmm. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, all that stuff. And the scripture says that when they saw him and they listened to those words, they worshiped him and some of them doubted. Mm -hmm. And he still gives the great commission to them. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. Like that's like I think that's the posture that I'm advocating for for ministry yeah. leaders is to like yeah. let people go through what they're going through. Just keep calling them into the sacred task and take their mm -hmm. questions and their doubts seriously, but don't make them ultimate because that's not the final yeah. truth about them. What's going on? The movements of our, mm -hmm. you know, prefrontal cortex. It's not the final truth about us. It's one part yeah. of it, you know. And so, but then to people that are walking through deconstruction, I would just say. God is the great and final truth and mm. the triune God is the great and final truth. And there's nothing true that you can experience that is outside of him. So run mm. at all the questions and pursue yeah. them as uh, pursue them as passionately as you possibly can and do it with people that you trust. Find a pastor that will be willing to sit down with you and share the things and read books with you and find a group of friends, you know, and listen to great podcasts where they're honest about this stuff. You could listen mm. to the, Gravity Leadership Podcast, you know? For example? About, yeah, for, for example, example. You know? Just to pick a random example? That's right. But no. there's no need to cut bait. Yeah. Um, the only yeah. reason we would need to cut bait is, I think, if we thought that it's all about what's going on here. And I think it's not. Mm. I think that these folks remind us that faith is much larger than that. Yeah. It's about our bodies. Yep. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a super good word um, for us as pastors and leaders um, and uh felt very encouraging as somebody who has been through some of those seasons myself of re the rearranging of uh, mm -hmm. paradigms and mental furniture. Um, it's encouraging. Mm -hmm. um, Andrew, I, I really appreciate you spending some time with us on the podcast today. Um, listeners, the, the new book is called Streams in the Wasteland, Finding Spiritual Renewal with the Desert Fathers and Mothers. Um, Andrew, how, how can people find you online if they want to reach out or ask a question or, or touch base about something? Uh, andrewarnt.com I put some stuff there and Twitter and Instagram is at the Andrew Arndt and mm -hmm. um, Facebook is just the Andrew Arndt so just reach out to me there okay and, and Arndt is a R-N-D-T R-N-D-T it's kind of a train wreck of consonants yeah <laughs> yeah so, don't so get many consonants up there. Yeah. so many consonants yeah hey before uh, well, we leave thanks again Andrew wait oh, before okay, we leave Christine. I've got a suggestion I remember this yeah 
Because before okay. we hit oh, record, yes. I was like, the next book suggestion, Andrew, right? I know we're talking yeah. about your second book, but I got an idea for your third book already. Um, and so here's my idea. Let's Are you do ready? this. Here it is. Okay. Mm, it's a kid's book. It's a kid's book. And the book okay. is called My Friends in the Sandbox, Stories of Desert Fathers and Mothers. Because I didn't kids that need to hear these stories. That is a great idea. Oh, my, my God. Friends kids in the need sandbox. to hear these stories. And you are yeah. a storyteller. And I feel like you can, hmm. like, you know, write it in a kid way and have some fun art. And it would wow. be awesome. There's not, uh, there's not stuff out there. Wow. So, um, anyway, that's, that's my suggestion. Okay. I'll, I'll do it if you'll help me with it, Christy. Okay, there we go. That's a deal. All right, that's a deal. Wow, <laughs> Thanks for the suggestion. Right. That's awesome. Well, we'll have like we'll have you back on to talk about that one and read some stories uh, of the desert fathers and mothers. All right. Can't wait. All right. Appreciate All right. you guys Thanks so much. Thanks us. for having me on. Good yeah. to have you, Andrew. Peace. Talk to you soon. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful or enjoyable. We'd love it if you'd tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And you can join our Gravity community online for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as our email most Fridays with curated links to articles we find interesting and helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Our podcast is produced by Ben Sternke and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sternke edits and mixes the show. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start recording button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.